America's Oldies But Goodies, Episode 23. Any of them you can think of that left a memorable impression on you? I would say Quincy Jones. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I'll tell you, back then, I mean, he wasn't anywhere as big as he became. But I could tell he was he was like one of these guys that there was a lot of excitement and energy around him. And he was one of these guys that I could see he had a bright future. And, uh, and I knew he was going places. And welcome to another encounter with some groovy moments from the past. We're visiting the 60s with host Dick Scopitoni, whose pop group Harper's Bazaar had a hit record back then called Feelin' Groovy. He'll be talking with our guests about a decade that shaped a whole generation, not only with the most magnificent music ever made, but also the politics, protests, and pretty much everything that happened in the swingin' 60s. So Dick, who's on today's show? Thanks, John. You might wonder how many backup singers actually make it on their own. Well, there were two girls that sang backup on a song that became a major hit in 1970, the song Band of Gold, the lead singer Frida Payne. In addition to the two backup singers on that record, Frida's sister Sherry sang backup too. Sherry went on to become one of the Supremes. And those other two backup singers, they formed a group called Tony Orlando and Dawn. We'll talk with Frida first about all those interconnected stars. And then next up, imagine you've spent 50 years in showbiz. You're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Songwriters Hall of Fame, and the Grammy Hall of Fame. Who would you be? None other than Felix Cavalieri of the Rascals. They had five top ten hits in the 60s, including Groovin', Good Lovin', It's a Beautiful Morning," How Can I Be Sure?, and People Gotta Be Free. We'll talk with both Frida and Felix about the 60s and what they're up to now in just a moment. <laughs> for retro and vintage merchandise, you'll find some fabulous buys at Dick's website, americasoldiesbutgoodies.com. Autograph records, tiki mugs, golf memorabilia, even a Paul McCartney signed album cover. Check it out at americasoldiesbutgoodies.com. By the way, you can listen to every episode of our show there too. That's americasoldiesbutgoodies.com. She grew up listening to different jazz singers like Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday. Then, as a teenager, 
She attended the Detroit Institute of Musical Arts. Soon, she was singing commercial jingles, and by the mid-60s, she was touring Europe and recorded her first jazz album. But jazz wasn't what was going to deliver her first hit single. The Detroit songwriting team of Brian Holland, Lamont Dozier, and Eddie Holland Jr. persuaded Frida to sign with their newly formed record label and offered her a song called Band of Gold. Bingo! Global sales shot to an estimated two million copies and started Frida on a journey that would take her through disco, her own talk show, Broadway, and the movies. And she's here with us today. Frida, thanks for joining me on America's Oldies But Goodies. Well, well, thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm glad a pleasure. To, I'm glad to have you, and I know you're heavy into jazz these days. Yeah, I bet I've got. I've fallen back onto uh, to where I came from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and jazz. That was your very first interest. It sounds like. Yes, it was. It, it just it was. I mean, from the time I was twelve and thirteen years old, and of course I liked you know I liked other commercial music like a little bit you know blues and a little bit of rock. Um, this was pre. I mean, God, I, I guess I go that far back. This was. Uh, literally pre Motown. Okay. And uh, then after Motown became the hot thing, I, you know, of course I was into their music as well. Well, I was going to ask you if we can just back up for a second to talk about what was going on prior to your successful time in showbiz. And you just started to tell me what was, tell me a little bit more about what was happening long before Band of Gold happened. Well, there was, there's so much. There's a lot to tell. I was just basically, uh, you know, a teenager in Detroit, and I really didn't get into my singing. I didn't discover that I had any exceptional talent until I was uh, about 13 years old. And that was my piano teacher. She uh, she kind of, like, brought it out, and she discovered that I had a, a voice that was worth, you know, listening to. <laughs> so from that point on, I, I, I remember I, I got very ambitious, and I started to enter talent contests just to see how good I really was. And, and I would win. And I thought, well, oh, my God, I can win talent contests. I must be, you know, this must be the, the path I should follow. Sure. Uh, show business. And, of course, I was also uh, interested in dancing. I, I studied ballet for a couple of years, and then I had modern dancing in school. That was when they still had the, uh, those, those, like, those kind of arts that they offered in public schools. But then I, I eventually just started uh, to perform uh, around Detroit. I sang. I was a, a part. I was on a radio show in Detroit that was called Don Large's Make Way for Youth, and uh, we we the station was WJR, and and it emanated from the building called the Fisher Building in Detroit. That's still there. The Fisher Building is was located directly across the street from the General Motors building. Ah. I was a member of that choir. I was in, on that show. It was like a choir. And then Don Large would give me solos. He would single me out for solos. And I was on. The, I did that show for like three years, from the time I was fourteen until I was sixteen. And then I, at sixteen, I joined AFTRA, the union AFTRA. Uh, because I started doing some commercials as well, commercials for radio. And then I uh, got a chance to audition for Duke Ellington when I was 17. And he wanted me to sing uh, with his big band, offered a contract. That never was consummated, but I did get to sing with his band on a couple of occasions as a guest artist. That must have been just spectacular. It was a thrill. It was a thrill. You know, when I think about it, you know, all these legendary musicians that you only only now you can just read about them and, you know, in sure. books or see yeah. them in movies or documentaries, and especially Mr. Ellington himself. And then after that, I also, I landed my first job on the road with Pearl Bailey and the Pearl Bailey Review. I was a background singer when I was 17, and and uh, what else happened then? And then, of course, I went to New York when I was 18, and I landed my first record deal with a major label, ABC Paramount, when I was 20, or I was either 19 or 20, 
Uh, I also met Quincy Jones back then during that time, and and I got to work with him and perform with his big band. He had a big band back then, and we worked at the Apollo in Harlem, and then we worked at the Regal Theater in Chicago, and then I went on. I recorded my first album on Impulse, which was a jazz subsidiary label to ABC Paramount, so that was my first album, and it was called... After the lights go down low and much more. I Yeah, I see that. I'm looking right at it, as a matter of fact. Now, and working with Quincy, that had to be just total exciting to be doing that. I'm sure he had all kinds of hot musicians. That Oh, God, yes, he did. Yeah. Oh, yes, he yeah. did. He had a lot of... He had musicians who, who were... Like, some of them were, like, Count Basie guys and whatever, Duke Ellington, mm-hmm. and he just... Uh, yeah, Oliver Nelson, Frank West, Jerome Richards. It's, it was like a, a who's who of musicians. He was, and then we were working with. He was backing up Billy Eckstein. Oh, jeez, yeah. And yeah. Billy Eckstein was quite a legend. He was a, a superstar back then. He was the guy. That's what was going on. And this was so. I finally, and then I recorded an album in Europe in in Stockholm, Sweden. It was called. Uh, Frida Payne in Stockholm, which is a rarity. I don't know if you can find it anymore, but I have was supposed to have been just for uh, Swedish distribution, but then for some reason I start seeing it popping up around you know some certain record stores that especially the ones that specialize in vintage recordings. And then I did an album on MGM Records in nineteen let's say nineteen sixty six. That was called How Do You Say I Don't Love You Anymore? And that was, the whole album was orchestrated by Benny Golson. And it was produced by Tom Wilson. He's long gone. He, Tom passed away, mm-hmm. I think, back in, the, back in the early 70s. So anyway, and, oh, and Clarence Avon, who was a legend himself, he's on, he was a man, he's a biz, he was a business manager, became, got his own record label after that called Sussex, and he's the guy who kind of launched Bill Withers' career. Oh, yeah. He's still a dear, he and his wife are still a, a dear friend, they're still good, dear friends of mine. And so then I went on to um, finally sign with Invictus Records, which... They had just launched the new label after Holland, Dozier, and Holland, who were the Golden Boys of Motown, sure. left Motown. They left Motown, formed their own label. That was Invictus, and then I signed with them in 1968. And, of course, Band of Gold, um, we did a lot of stuff, a lot of recording, and then the Band of Gold album came out in 1970, and that's when Band of Gold became a, a big hit. Yeah, a monster, monster tune, and, and a great tune. Now, trying to figure out, I'm picturing you this last Sunday singing at a club. Do you include, in, when you're doing your jazz uh, repertoire, do you include Band of Gold? And how do you include it if you do? It's always like the last, the very last song. It's my, it's my farewell. This is it. That's the last song. I do a whole show of mostly, you know, just singing jazz songs. I mean, jazz songs that are known for uh, as being the key signature songs for uh, some of our great, iconic jazz legends, such as Ella Fitzgerald and uh, Billie Holiday and Lena Horne. Yeah. And uh, then there's a song, also, I didn't do it last, uh, Sunday, but it was a song, song that I just recorded uh, called Save Your Love For Me, which is Nancy Wilson's, one of her signature songs. And that album I recorded, that album came out in 2014. It's called Come Back To Me Love. It's on a jazz label. It's The, la- the label is Mac Avenue, and it's with big band and strings. It was really? by... Oh yeah, Jeez, by Bill so. Conliffe, and <laughs> okay. it's some of the best. I think it's some of the best work I've I've done so well, far. And when you say big band and strings, the strings, just the strings part of it, real strings nowadays is hard to find. But that had to be exciting too to have a string section on on your session. It was more than exciting. It was euphoric. I mean, this was done. Uh, at Capitol Records in Hollywood in Studio A. And let me tell you, I mean, I, it wasn't the first time I'd been in Studio A. I've been in there. I, I, I was signed to Capitol in the 70s. 
and uh, I did record a couple of times in Studio A uh, with some strings, but this exceeded that as far as I'm concerned, and uh, it was just a, it was just a thrill, just an absolute pleasure. Yeah, and of course, uh, probably again, really hot musicians. I know, and I'm not sure Jackie told you, but uh, I was with a group called Harper's Bazaar, and we had our feeling groovy in 1967 so we preceded you by uh three years but we did a lot of our stuff at uh, western recorders and united which was just down the street and uh most of the time if not all of the time it was the wrecking crew that was uh, on the sessions and of course they were about as hot as you're going to get in terms of studio musicians. So, Oh, yeah. You uh, have worked with, and you've already rattled off a number of them, a lot of well-known people. Any of them you can think of that left a memorable impression on you? I would say Quincy Jones. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I'll tell you, back then, I mean, he wasn't anywhere as big as he became. But I could tell he was he was like one of these guys that there was a lot of excitement and energy around him. And he was one of these guys that I could see he had a bright future and uh, and I knew he was going places. He was, you know, a few he's older, of course, older than me. But it was like, oh, this guy is headed towards the skies. Yeah. You know, he's like uh uh, a doer and a shaker, mm-hmm. and but he even went further than even I had predicted. Sure, I know the whole Michael Jackson thing just took him out into the stratosphere. Somewhere. Yeah, and yeah. He, I mean, he, in addition to that, the the film industry, you mm-hmm. know, and all of it. Yeah, he just he just conquered. He just conquered uh, and broke through the ceiling. I do believe it's toe tapping time. Let's see if we can squeeze a quick music break here. We're coming right back. Later on in today's show, I'm going to tell you my story about type 2 diabetes. But first, I want to tell you about Longevity. It's a program that I've joined that was started by Dr. Joel Wallach, who's a crusader on a 40-year mission to educate people that proper nutrition and supplementation and not toxic prescription drugs is the solution for optimal health and longevity. And I've set up a website to tell you all about it. Check out ReduceYourNumbers.com. That's right, ReduceYourNumbers.com. I put my story on that site to let you know what I'm doing to improve my health. Both my wife Mimi and I use Longevity supplements every day, and as a result, now I'm a crusader for Doc Wallach and the best health program I've ever encountered. Please check it out at ReduceYourNumbers.com.
You know, in spite of all of our various successes uh, over the years, there was probably a few hills that we couldn't climb. What's your best failure story? Have you got one? Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) I don't really care to talk about failures. Yeah. A failure story? No. There's too. You know what? It's depressing. So let's let's not talk about (laughs) failures. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's kind of the answer I get. Everybody's got failure stories. Yeah. So true. Absolutely. Um, Dan, there may have been a time in both of our younger years when we were as fit as a fiddle. I don't know if that's still the case with you, but how's your health nowadays? My health is pretty good. Pretty good, I would say. I won't say excellent. I have a little bit of high blood pressure, which just kind of like surfaced in the uh, around the uh, mid Two thousand, you know, to like two thousand and five, around mm-hmm. there. But uh, you know, kind of like part of, I guess, part of your system. I used to do the hot yoga. I started out with Bikram in in nineteen seventy three, and I was doing it for like thirty years. And then all of a sudden, I can't take the heat anymore. So that's part of, I guess, that's part of the the body chemistry changing. Yeah, and sure. not. Uh, being acclimative to to extreme heat and doing exercise, especially at the same time. So um, basically, I'm in pretty good shape. My health is good, other than I mentioned that, you know. And uh, I have, a, you know, little things, you know, that happen naturally when you're a senior. Uh, but I take a lot of supplements, you know. I'm into uh, observing the study of dealing with anything that comes up. There's always something you can do about it in terms of supplementing yeah. your health, you know, supplementing. Oh, I and, agree. Uh, rather than going to drugs or anything like that. Sure. And I don't, I drink, you know, I drink a little bit of alcohol. I drink wine and mm-hmm. champagne. I like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not into, I don't do any drugs or anything like that, any um you know, that stuff, opioids. Yeah, the uh, uh, blood pressure, are you doing anything other than a prescription drug to lower it? Well, the only thing, I, the doctor recommends that you should take something, you yeah, know. So I take right. a little pill every day. Sometimes I skip it and I, and I don't take it, but there are, lo- there are other things you can take. There are a lot of, there are a few things that uh, help to lower your blood pressure, like garlic, oh, yeah. cinnamon, Mm-hmm. Uh, I think beets. Huh. Yeah, there's a few things that can do that. And I take things like to help the brain to kind of like, uh, as you get older, you start having less of ability to remember things. And, you know, so you kind of have to watch that. Well, I'm 72, and I, I am taking uh, not uh, probably much like you. I take one pill a day for blood pressure. It's not through the roof, but you know, i got to sense that, and there's no way to prove this, but I think that stress, uh, any kind of stress, probably contributes to higher blood pressure. So Absolutely. Yeah. I, you're right. It does. Yeah. Stress. Yeah. Stress is the worst thing. What's been your most challenging experience either in or out of showbiz what's the what's the biggest thing that you faced as a major challenge Mm. just maintaining you know your um your visibility and and uh, maintaining a career and and staying you know staying out there that's a challenge Mm -hmm. yep because they you know the in, in general the industry as you age it the the people that are coming up that are doing it now are, are they're they're your literally uh, half your age. Yes, that's right. Sure. And so you be, it's almost like you're being pushed aside if you let it happen, and uh, that's the challenge. I yeah, and I think there's a certain flow that's always been there. Probably we could both probably go back to the the uh, '60s and '70s and look at where we were and how the movement was happening. But there is a certain flow where, as you say, new people coming in, they've got hit records happening. That seems to take over the largest part of what's going on 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 TV and radio. So it's and I'm not sure so much that it's a matter of being pushed out, although that would be one way to describe it. It's just that you don't 
no longer have the high priority appearance that you may have had in the past. So, uh, and we all go through it. Uh, I don't don't know that there's any way around it. But uh, you know, as I get older, I think more about my philosophy of life, which is a pretty big question nowadays, but wasn't even in my thinking back in my 20s. Would you be up for sharing some of the wisdom, including spiritual wisdom, that you've gained over the years? I would just basically say, listen to your gut. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind some of the major, the basic principles that I would say that you've learned pertaining to spiritual spirituality. Mm Mm-hmm treat others as the way you would want to be treated you know don't mm-hmm. don't step over anybody to you know gain a position and you know just know that uh, you know god has got his eyes on you that know that you have angels surrounding you and uh and just keep a positive approach to everything yeah, I like that positive mm-hmm. approach. It's that's a that's a requirement for people like you and me too. You do, we wouldn't even make it until tomorrow if you didn't have some positive element that you could put forth each day. It's easy to fall into the negative. I mean, we all do, but uh I think that positive statement is is really important. What do you doing now Uh, talk a little bit about and you just played the other day are you going to be working mainly the la area in the future or what's the plan no i don't just work mainly the la area because i i I don't want to overly saturate myself yeah uh i work everywhere all open and overseas i work in europe uh and the uk especially i also work in new york i work in chicago I work in Florida. I work in Virginia. I work Boston. You know, wherever I wherever I get booked. Yeah, you know, sure. uh, I work performing arts centers, theaters. Also, next year I'll probably be doing. I may be doing Ella Fitzgerald, First Lady of Song, in the in legitimate theater once again. Um, that'll be in Wilmington, Delaware, at a regional theater. And that's about it. You have to, I go to. I have a website, freetopain. dot com. So, you would uh, you know check check out what I'm doing on that on that website as well. Yeah, and I noticed they they do list some upcoming events. I see one on uh, August twentieth, uh, tribute to Ella Fitzgerald for her hundredth birthday. That's over in Honolulu, Hawaii. So you're going to get some Hawaii time in. Yeah, and I haven't played Hawaii, and I don't, I can't. Rem- I mean, not in, not in Oahu. Yeah. in many years. Yeah. I, I did play in Maui. Oh, this was back in 2012, but yeah. I haven't played Honolulu and and got. I could say decades. Well, and that will. I'm assuming that you're not just going to go for the one night. That'll give you a little bit of relaxing time over there. Not really. I'm like, I'm not going to be there that long. But I mean, I have been to to Hawaii, Honolulu, Waikiki uh, over the years, but not as a commercial performer, like in a gala, you know, like in a special special show with other performers. This will be. It's, I'm playing the Blue Note. The yeah. Blue Note is a jazz room oh, in Honolulu, yeah. and they've got Blue Notes in New York, a Blue Note in Tokyo. Yeah, I was going to say Blue Note's a famous. That's a famous place. Any um, uh, new albums coming up or recent albums that are just out? Well, the one I that was out just out is the one I mentioned. Come back to me, love on Mac Avenue. Any plan to go into the studio, say in the next next year or so? Probably, yeah. We're still, you know. You know, kind of like getting ideas and material together. Well, I would say I need to stay in touch with you, and I probably will check back in with you maybe as we get closer to, uh, I'm looking here, January 14th, Hackettstown. You're doing the Centenary Stage Company. What's that all about? Is that just a stock show for you, or what's the Centenary Stage Company? I have no idea at this point. I guess it's a, a theater. Yeah, it's what or it's... A club. It's a theater or a club, and 
It's on my itinerary, so yeah. I guess I'll find out yeah. more. You'll and I be get there. Closer to it. Yeah. I'll be there. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to thank you again for taking time out to talk with me, and then we will be in touch sometime over the next six months. So uh, you enjoy the rest of today, and we shall talk soon. All right. All right. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This may be the perfect spot to take a quick break. Everybody relax, enjoy yourself, listen to the music, and we'll be back in a minute. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining And they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining I went hiking with Joe Spivey He developed poison ivy You remember Leonard Skinner Earlier in the show, I mentioned that I would tell you more about the latest health program that I'm on. I've had the good fortune to lead a relatively healthy life, although I'm not sure I can chalk it up to plenty of exercise and a wholesome diet. I've never lasted longer than three months in any health club, and most of my days are spent in front of a computer. I've been a little bit surprised by the number of guests that I interview on this show who have type 2 diabetes. Most of us are in the baby boomer age range. I'm 72. And for me, age 50 was when I found out that I had type 2 diabetes. I've used various prescriptions over the years. Right now, I'm using Jardiance, and I think it's helped reduce my numbers a bit down into the 130 range. Typical numbers for non-diabetics are between 90 and 110. As for my weight, I'd like to drop about 15 pounds. Two years ago, in an effort to lower my diabetes numbers, I cut back on sugary processed foods and my blood sugar numbers came down, though not as much as I had hoped. However, as a pleasant side effect of nixing the sugar, in just two months I lost 18 pounds. But not for long, the weight came back again. Recently, I started using some longevity supplements, and my diabetes numbers have come down even more. My morning numbers now are between 85 and 114. Now, as an independent longevity distributor, I can't make any specific claims regarding that, and since I'm still on prescription meds, I can't say for sure why my numbers have dropped, but I can suggest that you take a closer look at the supplement packs I'm using, like the Healthy Body blood sugar pack. My wife Mimi is using the Healthy Body Weight Loss Pack, and we reorder both once a month. You can find these two supplements on my website, reduceyournumbers.com. That's reduceyournumbers.com. You know, I interviewed Joey D a while back. He had a monster hit with Peppermint Twist. Well, guess who was in his band in those Peppermint Lounge days? Felix Cavalieri, who along with his future bandmates, Dino Dinelli and Eddie Brigatti, I think there might be a mild Italian-American influence here, put together the best blue-eyed soul group to come out of the 60s, the Rascals. I found out that he pronounces the E at the end of his last name like an E, Cavalieri, just like I pronounce the E at the end of my last name as an E, Scapatoni. But I think we've got more than that in common, although Harper's Bazaar never had as many hit records as these guys. So let's forget about feeling groovy and actually start grooving with Felix Cavalieri. Felix, welcome to America's Oldies But Goodies. Thank you. How are you, Dick? Oh, I'm doing real good today, and I understand you're in Nashville. How's it looking for a, a nice summer day in Nashville? Well, you know, this place has been extremely hot, but we've got some of the finest musicians in the world these days, so it's a great place to be. Yeah. How was it that you ended up in Nashville? I mean, you started in the New York area, I know that, but how did Nashville happen? I just it came it came about as a, as a business trip one day and uh, and I and when I got here I saw all kinds of people that I knew. Uh, John Kay was here from Steppenwolf at that time. Uh, there was people from the Four Seasons. There was people from Bruce Springsteen's band, and I kind of said, "Wow, what's going on down here?" And they said, "Well, music's going on down here." So. 
that's what I wanted to do the rest of my life, so that's why I'm here. You know, uh, let's uh, jump, take a step backwards prior to your successful time in showbiz. Uh, talk about, we mentioned New York. Talk about being raised in New York. What? How was that like? It was it was wonderful, absolutely, because, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a little town called Pelham, right, right outside of New York City. And um, besides being one of the best places for an education that I could ever dream of, I was also exposed to uh, the beginning of rock and roll because Alan Freed decided to move his... Uh, his show, I think he called it Moondog at that time in Cleveland, to New York City. Hmm. So I, I was present at the very, very beginning of uh, what we know today as, as pop music, rock and roll. Pelham is relative to New York City. What, what direction? North, south? or? It's approximately 15 minutes, 20 minutes the most north. Oh, okay. Oh, it's, still, it's within the general environs. So it was uh, it was uh, it was phenomenal uh, in that you know I had all the uh, advantage of uh, being that close to New York and the advantages of being in a, in, a, in, a, in a suburb. So it was it was a great place to grow up, and uh, you know I, I uh, also had the New York Yankees and the Brooklyn Dodgers at that time, and uh, you know the New York Giants football team. And oh yeah, it, it was uh, the hockey teams. It was a great place to be. Let me tell you. Were you into music in high school? Were you playing music in high school? Yeah, I, I was a classical musician originally from the age of five till approximately 13, uh, when, as I say, I discovered rock and roll. And, and then I got involved in uh, what uh, initially was a dance band. You know, in those days you, you played weddings and things like that and uh, proms, and then, and then ultimately a singing group, and then, uh, you know, some uh, actual uh four-piece bands. You know, I have to ask you a question that doesn't have any, anything to do with that, but I'm curious to find out if you know a friend of mine, this guy is, well, he was a young guy at one point. He probably still is a young guy, but he tracked me down. He was not uh, even born in the 60s, and but he was a Harper's Bazaar fan because his parents had listened to Harper's all the time. Uh -huh. And so he tracked me down and came out to California to visit. And since then, that had to be 15 years ago, probably, or a little bit more. We've become yeah. just the best of friends. Do you know a guy by the name of Ian Vago. Yes. You do? I do. Okay, good. I do. All right. Yeah, I know him because his wife used to work at the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yes, that's that's right. Yes. Well, I called Ian this weekend just to let him know I was going to be interviewing you, and he said that uh, he and you have had a good relationship together, and he is just the nicest guy. He sends me Christmas cards every uh, <clears throat> every Christmas, and it's always a joy talking to him. So, And he said that it's, it's been a pleasure with his relationship with you as well. Let's uh, see if we can shift into... Let me ask you about what you consider to be some of your most notable successes. What are, what are the things that sit right near the top of your list that you've done? Well, I guess from the musical point of view, I mean, obviously the first answer is going to be your family, you know, because i got some, some great kids, you know. I've really been very blessed. I, I think as far as musically is concerned, you know, the, the, the fact that the songs have met the test of time mm -hmm. is the most uh, enduring thing you know like you know when, when when i look at the calendar and i see that it was 50 some odd years ago that that music came out and then when i look at my present show rate which i'm still doing to 40 to 60 shows a year Jeez. it's kind of amazing to me that you know that's even happening you know and uh uh, prior, uh, prior to that, I mean, if, if you think about when we started, and I'm, I'm sure you guys were about the same time, if you look at 1960, 1970, if you go back 50 years, it's 1920. Yeah, yeah. So I doubt if any of us were listening to <laughs> 1920 music. No, that's you know? right. So to me, it was kind of like a real, you know, it, it, it's, it's amazing, and I'm very, very happy and blessed by it. But that, to me, is the biggest accomplishment. And, 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 and uh, that's an... It's it, it just attests to the fact that the, the music that was made in that in those days, because I'm not alone. Yeah. You know, obviously we can say that about a lot of groups, the Beatles and sure. Stones, of course. And but uh, you know, uh, that period of time, uh, I'm really happy to be part of. I think that that whole stretch of the '60s was 
probably more notable than anything else around it, although, you know, there was a lot of stuff happening earlier than that. And I, <clears throat> we would listen to Mario Lanza in, in my household in the 50s. Oh, so, uh, But when you look at the 60s and all the changes that occurred in that brief space, even the, the technological changes, going from uh, two-track to three-track to all of a sudden jumping all the way up to two-inch tape and 24-track, that all happened in a very compacted time. And then, uh, of course, the, the, the whole Beatles thing, which j- kind of turned the world uh, you know, on its edge. So, Absolutely. Yeah. They changed the entire musical world, you know, no doubt about that. Well, were you really pretty much influenced by the Beatles? Uh, where where did they stand in, in Well, term- the interesting thing, like in your in your introduction there, you mentioned Joey D. Now, Joey D uh, contacted me when when they were in Europe. Their organ, quit, organ player quit on them. Mm-hmm. And they had seen me as a, a college uh, sophomore in, in the Catskill Mountains. And they... Um, uh, brought me to Europe. They brought me to Germany and to Sweden. And uh, lo and behold, they were working with the Beatles. Huh? So I saw I saw the Beatles over there before anybody in the United States had seen them. Gee. And I kind of picked up on what they were doing in terms of like their own songs, and uh, the fact that really I thought they were really a, an excellent singing group, you know. And uh, that that really was was the kind of like the. Uh, the seed, so to speak, for me to start the rascals, because what I, what I did is I tried to have both excellent musicians and excellent singers, you know, and and that worked, you know, but uh, you, you just can't imagine the contribution that these guys made to all of us who are in the music business. Mm-hmm. But the reason I say that is because there weren't many people at all who were singing and, and writing their own songs. I mean, I think Buddy Holly, you know, might have been an exception in those days. And mm-hmm. but most people were going to publishers for their songs. Sure. You know, you know, you, but uh, when they came out and started doing this, uh, everybody decided, well, why can't we do this? And so that started a whole new generation of, of uh, you know, talent, as far as I'm concerned, you know. And the other thing that that they did that was so groundbreaking their their types of music that they played uh, that they uh, sang excuse me and wrote were very very diversified yeah so they they didn't do the same thing over and over and over and over they jumped around well when they jumped around the radio stations had to play their songs we jumped around so when they did michelle and yesterday we did how can i be sure <laughs> yes you know? uh-huh yeah and so you know you you cannot Imagine the the, uh, the the impact that those guys had on all of us. I agree with you. I know that uh, prior to us doing any recording, we were playing probably seventy five percent of our show in little old Santa Cruz was was Beatles songs, and uh, absolutely, and everybody was influenced by them. You probably remember a group called the Bo Brummels. They were out of. San Francisco. Oh, yeah. yeah, they had Laugh Laugh, and their drummer finally came and played with us. But I remember the first time we saw them, they were very much uh, Beatle like, as everybody was. I mean, the Beatle boots, the Beatle pants, the Beatle hair. Uh, it was pretty amazing looking back on it now. And then where that grew from, because as you say, they didn't just keep doing the same thing over and over. Every new album was a total new. Uh, adventure, basically. So, absolutely. Now, uh, absolutely. were you writing songs? Yeah, I wrote all, all of them, basically, except for "Good Loving," which we had done in our club dates. Yes, you know, and you know, I had I had a partner helping with lyrics, uh, mm-hmm. Eddie Bugatti, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and you know, basically, we had a. a, a, a I don't know. We, we had a very interesting group, that's for sure. Are Dino and Eddie still around? Everyone's still around. Gene Cornish, Dino Dovelli, Eddie Brigatti. However, really, myself and uh, and uh, Dino, I mean, I'm sorry, myself and uh, Gene are, are the only ones really actively working, you know? Yeah. Uh, the other guys have, uh, uh, you know, they have sporadic stints where they come out of the box, you know, but for the most part... They're not. We were talking about well-known people like the Beatles. Can you talk about some of the other well-known people that you worked with back in the day? 
Well, back in the day and, and, and up to today, I mean, I worked with Ringo. Uh, I did a tour with Ringo. I did the all-star band with Ringo. I've worked with uh, Billy Joel. You know, uh, for a brief time in the, in the 80s and 90s, uh, I was working for an airline doing their commercials for huh. Northwest. Yeah. Well, during that period of time, I got to work with B.B. King, the Four Tops, Aaron Neville, Tony Bennett, Take Six. I worked with with a lot a lot of different acts as a uh, writer producer for the commercials. Oh yeah, um, and so uh, you know it, it was it was really a hoot because uh, you know when you do commercials, especially uh, uh, for for a company as big as that airlines, it's a it's a very quick thing. And by that I mean like you do the you do the commercial, then maybe a week later it comes out. Yeah, on the market. Sure, so that, that that's really. Pretty exciting. Huh? And you were doing uh, commercials for North Northwest Airlines. Yes, uh, the C- CFO was a CFO was a, a CEO. Excuse me, was a, was a really good friend of mine. And still is. Loved music, and you know had the opportunity to bring you know the artists that he adored to uh, uh, commercials. And uh, you know, as I say, BB King. We did Four Tops. Tony Bennett. Take Six. Aaron Neville. See, the, the, the cities that they were uh, based in uh, were all soul cities, Memphis, uh, Detroit, mm-hmm. and uh, Minneapolis were, they, were their headquarters, were their, uh, what do you call those, hubs. Yes, right. So, uh, obviously, those people lived there. I mean, you know, the Thomas, uh, you know, Carla Thomas and her dad, Rufus, and, you know, all these people were, were Memphis residents, you know, at one time, so... I really enjoyed it, and I got and I got to work with a lot of different people over the years, which is you know something that I really enjoy to say the least. Because you know when you admire people and then you work with them, it's even better, you know. And I think that it sounds like you just came in contact with pretty much everybody that was doing something in the in the record business during that time. Well, because it was not as huge as it is today, you know. There were there were not many of us crazy enough to try this to make a living <laughs> right. in those days, you know? You know, in spite of uh, all of our successes, most of us know that life's not all a bed of roses. Can you give me, if you can think of it, your best failure story? Do you have one? You know, the way we look at our so-called failures is, is because, uh, as, as, as you well know, to, to make a hit record or a hit album is not based on the music. I wish it was. But, you know, there's, there's, there's timing, for example. Now, if my record comes out at the same time that three Rolling Stones and two Beatles yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, Fleetwood Mac, mm-hmm. mm, I'm going to have a pretty tough time climbing up past those guys. You know sure. what I'm saying? It has nothing to do with whether your record is good or not. See? And then, of course, there's the old bugaboo called advertising, which now they've turned into a science, you know, well, they used to call it payola in the old days. You're right. Now they call it advertising. So here's the thing. Now, you put out an album. I did an album called Peaceful World. It was not a hit. Okay? So, obviously, people could call that a failure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. However, years later, uh, in Japan, they had a vote for what album that was not made in the, the digital technology would you like to be uh, uh, made into a CD? And that won. Really? You know what I mean? So, it, it, yes. Yeah. So it became, a, it became a CD. So, you know, it's really interesting, you know what I'm saying? Because really, uh, you know, when, when it comes to music, eh, there's really no such thing as a failure, you know what I'm saying? All, all the things that you write, and I don't mean to get, like, you know, really philosophical, they come from a divine source as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Now, whether the other people on the, in the planet are tuned into that frequency or not uh, who knows but if they're not it doesn't work that's so true i was talking to a guy yesterday who was uh back in the 60s he was a record promo guy I and mean, he was talking about all the stuff that he would go through when he would go to various radio stations to pitch oh, uh, records and uh yeah it, was, it had to be a tough business to be in uh you know back then but still i'm sure it's a tough business to be in now uh, it's it's a different business now. It's based on finances. You know, it's the way it is. Yeah, well, let's talk about that for a minute. Just talking about today versus 50 years ago. I, I have people on occasion ask me, you know, how can I get my kid in the music business? And I have to tell them I honestly don't 
have an answer for them. I, I wouldn't even know where to start today. Do you find the business is that different than what it was 50 years ago? Oh, absolutely. And one of the, one of the main reasons is because of the fact that it is absolutely, completely overrun with talent, with people. Yeah. Everybody and their brother, you know, like especially in Nashville, Tennessee, is in the music business or would like to be in the music business. And, you know, they're, they, they can't. There's not enough seats in the church. Sure. You know, there's there's yeah. not enough. Yeah. But how you do it today is totally different from how we were doing it in our day. You know, because I, I believe in our day, seriously, if you were good, you had a good chance. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, were, if you you were more than good, you had an even better chance. Today, I can't say that. Right now, what are you, what are you doing? What are you up to? As I say, I'm preparing for this symphony. It has a lot of work. I've got to make sure there's charts for all the instruments, and there's a lot of instruments in an orchestra. Yeah. And uh, uh, number two, uh, uh, I do a Christmas show every year. I do a Christmas show. This year, we're hoping to do it with the Fifth Dimension. Ah, yeah. Uh, my manager, yeah, my manager does both of us. And so, you know, you, you just got to keep inventing yourself, you know. Uh, got a couple of other things. In. I just finished a book which I'm hoping to get out in the marketplace within the next oh, three, four, five months. You know, I've got an album in the works that I would love to see if I could finish because, uh, you know, it, it's so expensive to do a great album these days. What I'd like to do is to um, get back to you uh, maybe cl- as we get closer to Christmas. We could talk about what's going on with Christmas. Oh, and, great. And well, all. you have my number. Yeah. And... Uh, you know how to get in touch with Melissa, right? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I do. I do. And she's oh, been I, great. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. So let's plan on reconverging uh, here maybe sometime in the next, uh, let's call it six months, and we'll, we'll get an update on what you're doing then. I'll see you. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Some of you probably already know that the America's Oldies But Goodies podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher.com, and iHeartRadio, and I've got my own app, which you can get through the iTunes App Store. Just do a search for America's Oldies But Goodies. As Chris mentioned earlier in the show, you need to visit my website, americasoldiesbutgoodies.com, and not only take a listen to the archives of all of our shows, but to check out the groovy merchandise available there. In addition to Oldies merchandise, you have to check out the Vegas Tickets, for both Celine Dion and Cher, and all the Amazon collectibles, which feature a Tommy Chong signed hand-drawn self-portrait and a statue of Robin the Boy Wonder from Batman. I just added a fun display of surf movie posters from the 60s, like Barefoot Adventure and Slippery When Wet. You'll find a whole bunch of goodies at americasoldiesbutgoodies.com. For all of you health-conscious baby boomers, go to oldieshealth.com to get healthy body packs for weight loss, digestion, and lowering your blood sugar. There's an excellent assortment of healthy supplements at oldieshealth.com. I'm a cappuccino buff, so I also get their fair trade organic coffee, which is really tasty stuff. And one last note, you can also email me with your suggestions on what guests you'd like me to have on the show. I love hearing from you with any ideas that you've got. So until next week, keep your face in a smile. It makes everything worthwhile. Bye-bye. You've been listening to America's Oldies But Goodies with Dick Scapatoni. If you've got any questions or suggestions, send us an email. The address is dick at americasoldiesbutgoodies.com. Join us again next week for more memories from the good old days. In the words of Jerry Garcia, what a long, strange trip it was. The Swingin' 60s. I'm John Berg. See you then. Bye.